Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of James. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2, looking at verses 1 to 13 uh, this morning. As I've uh, been sharing uh, at the beginning of this letter of James and uh, from week to week, bringing to your uh, remembrance that this book is a book of maturity. It's a book about moving on to maturity uh, because like children, we're always wanting to grow our children. And God is always wanting to grow us. He's wanting us to grow up. And James is one of those books that really gets to the heart of the matter. James is one of those books that's about our Christian faith. And even as Kyle and his, his prayer is that we're not just people that are rejoicing in the fact that we're saved, though we do, but God wants to do so much more in our lives. He wants our lives to live out what we say that we believe. And James is one of those writers that gets right to the point. It's actually one of the New Testament books. It's probably one of the ones that's most challenging to our faith. We looked at uh, the first study that we did, and I titled it Trials in the Testing of Our Faith. We looked at the second uh, study. It was Enduring Temptations with a Promise. The third study that we did in that first chapter was The Source of Our Temptations and then we, then the following week, did the source of our victory. And then lastly, in that first chapter, we talked about true and false religion. Five studies in that first chapter. Today, I'm going to title this morning's message, Beware of Showing Partiality. And as I considered the subject considered really even the state of our world today, when I considered the state of the church today, it raises some alarms in my own mind. As we look at our world uh, today, we definitely see a world that is partial. We see a world that in so many ways, is becoming more and more against one race, one group of people, one class of people. I mean, the partiality in our world today is, is great. Anti-Semitism in our world today is, is a growing thing. And even just all of the various religions that are in our world, ones that have even wreaked havoc in this world, has brought into our own hearts as a church maybe a, a thing, well, you know what, I, you know, this whole Islamic religion, this whole... And we be, begin to build up these things in our hearts towards certain groups of people, and that's the day and age that we're living in. And anti-Semitism, when you think about that, it's actually growing in the last days as far as the Scriptures are concerned. It already told us that it would grow in the last days. But how about within the church? 
anti-Semitism in the, quote, church. That is something that, as Christians, we should be thinking, man, how sad. How sad to think that even within the church, there would be these bias and be these things that would take place. But unfortunately, it does. Today, we're going to look at showing partiality towards people. And James calls it a sin. It's the sin of partiality that he talks about in these 13 verses. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Look at verse 4 in your Bible. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Look at verse 9. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James makes the point clear in these 13 verses that showing partiality as a Christian is not consistent with what a Christian is. And we're going to see that in our verses this morning. He's speaking about the sin of partiality in the church. Not to the unchurched, but to the church. And that should even create more of an alarm to us as Christians. Notice that James starts this next section with my brethren in verse 1. He says in verse 5, he says, listen, my beloved brethren. He's speaking to Christians. And he's wanting to, even in the words that he's going to speak, he's wanting them to know, you know what? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all on one same level playing field. There's no partiality and should never be any partiality within the church. It's inconsistent with what a Christian is. One of the main reasons that partiality is so wrong, according to James, is because it violates God's law of love. The primary earmark of a Christian is God's love. It violates that when we're partial towards people. Jesus Himself, think of this. Think of how people viewed Him. You know, the Son of Man had no place to lay His head. He was one of those that came out of Nazareth. And can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, He lived on the other side of town, the place that nobody would have wanted to go. People looked down upon Jesus just for that. In verses 8 and 9, he says, if you really 
fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. That's to the church. So we might say that the flow of thought in these 13 verses might go like this. To show partiality violates the second great commandment of God's law. Loving your neighbor as yourself. To break God's law is sin. And to break even one part of it is to break the whole. Since God's law will be the standard by which everyone will be judged, we should live in light of that coming judgment day, especially by showing mercy to the poor. You see, that's what we're called. We're called to be different as Christians. And if the church doesn't stand out in the world that we live in now, if we're not what the world is looking at and seeing something, if they're seeing partiality within the church itself, woe is us. Because we should be standing out as something different. We should be welcoming. As a matter of fact, the Calvary Chapel movement, it started really with that, with Pastor Chuck Smith and his wife Kay bringing in all of these dirty hippies that were on drugs at the time and doing all these these various things that, quote, the church says, this can't be of God. Look at them. They're bringing in guitars and drums to the stage. And you know what? And that's Satan worship. Those were the kind of things that were being said in that day. Judging by appearance. Looking at the outward appearance of men and women and making a judgment call. The whole founding of the Calvary Chapel movement was based upon come as you are. Doesn't, you know, come as you are meaning it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter anything about come as you are into this place. And even come with your sin. Even come with those things because unless God touches your heart, unless He saves you from your sin, there's no hope. So please come into this place. The church is for sick people. The church is for those that need a physician. It's not some place for a bunch of people that have it all together to come and gather on a Sunday. This is not the place God intends it to be. We should be welcoming the lowest of lows, the dirtiest of dirty, the people that would come into this place that many churches would say, you know what, you're not really welcome or we got a place for you to sit. That's the issue. We finished last week in chapter 1, verse 25 to 27. James says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious, 
and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Even though we don't like the word religion, religion speaks of effort. Religion speaks of man trying to find God, reaching up to God. And we, as believers, we believe we have a relationship with the living God. God had reached down to us and saved us out of our sin, pulled us out of the pit. In whatever condition we were, He saved us from it. So let's look and we'll read our text first and I want to break it down. The first verse that we read is what we might call the precept or the instruction that we're going to learn about. Look what James says. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Period. In verses 2 to 4, James then gives us an example of showing partiality. Look what he says. For if there should come into your assembly, and let's call this Calvary Chapel Fellowship of Winston-Salem, if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In verses 5 to 9, James answers the question, why partiality is sinful? Look what he says, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then in verses 10 to 13, James is going to give us the conclusion of this matter. Look what he says, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do. 
as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's our text. Showing partiality. Racial hostility. And and those were things that were happening in the day that James wrote this letter. Are they happening today? They are. And they're intensifying in our world today. I don't think we've, at least in my life, I've ever seen a time like we're living in now. I mean, we are in dark days when it comes to this subject. After the church was birthed, which goes back to the book of Acts, beginning of Acts, there were many prejudices within the church. And the people of that day, even in their newfound faith, brand new believers. Remember where I talked about last week about some of the baggage we bring from the past into our new relationship with Christ? I think some of us have had to probably contend with these areas of partiality and and even being towards certain groups of people, maybe even being racist. Maybe realizing I think I have been racist and I, I think I still struggle in that area. What a black eye to the churches in the South. Segregation. I mean, think about that. How would you like to belong to a group or a region of churches that are known to have segregation within the church? Is it better now today than it was? Maybe in some ways and in some churches. But I believe it's still there. And I believe that there are still pastors and churches and people that struggle with the idea of mixing races together within a church. And it's so sad. As a matter of fact, though we don't have all the races that are sitting here, that we do have some different races, I would like to see this church full of every skin color. I would like to see this church full of every class of people. I don't want this to be a rich church. I don't want it to be an all-poor church. I don't want it to be just a middle-class church. I want it to be a church that is full of every class of people. It doesn't matter who you are. I shared last week in chapter 1, verse 21, James says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. We need to lay these things aside. Filthiness, the overflow of wickedness, those things that maybe even crossed over from past to present. Now that I'm saved, we need to put them aside. We're a new creation in Christ. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things should become new in our lives as Christians. I once was like this, but I'm no longer like that. I once spoke like this, but I no longer speak that way. I once addressed people and handled people. I'm no longer like that. 
That's to the glory of God. That's to the glory of God who is able to change a person's life. The Word of God. The overflow. The abundance. The residue, as I shared last week, that we contend with as Christians is probably more than you realize. More than you realize at times. James, in this letter, he gives an example of showing partiality to the rich and disregarding the poor man. Showing partiality, James says, is a sin. And sometimes because it's kind of that hidden sin, it's not one that's always right out there for all to see. Sometimes it gets kicked under the rug. It happens in very subtle ways. And what the church would allow or what the church wouldn't allow. How they would deal with this kind of person or deal with this kind of person. It's external judging. It's judging by appearance. Instead of considering what might be in their heart. The whole issue, you know, remember when tattoos started getting popular? Man, you walk in with a tattoo. Whoa, what's this? What do we got here? You know, what, what, what kind of person are you? External. Can't have, they have a hard time with it now. I mean, there's so many people that have tattoos today. I mean, it's not even hardly an issue. Though it might be with some. But external judging of what we see on the outside, the sin of partiality, I do believe is alive and well in the church today. We actually find the word 24 times in the Bible. Ten of those times we find in the New Testament. It means to have respect, certain respect of persons. Treating others and some differently than you do others. Impartiality is also defined by definition as personal favoritism. It's favoring one over the other. It's picking sides at times. It's playing favorites. It's judging by appearance. It's regarding one class above another. We think in today, and we think in terms of racism, and prejudice, discrimination, social injustice. And there's, there's many other words that are flying around today. And the church is having to deal with that thought. What we do in the church, and are some of us part of that problem? In Acts chapter 6, the early church. There were Hebrews. And then there were Hellenists. And they were making these daily distributions to the widows that were in the church. And they were being neglected. And, they, and there was this rise of concern within the early church between the Hebrews and the Hellenists of the day. These Hellenists, they were... Jews who had taken on Greek culture. 
They spoke the Greek language. And then you had your, the, your Hebrews that, that didn't speak Greek and, and they, they spoke in a different tongue. And, and, and there was these differences between them and it caused a contention amongst them. Even in the early church, it was there. They had to deal with it. God gave the law to His people in Exodus 23. In verse 1, He says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd or do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. And you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. It, this goes all the way back. God knew the hearts of man. God knew that we would lean towards trying to cater to those people that were of a different class over this. And, and He knew our hearts. Remember, all the law was given for man's protection. He knew how we were. And you shall show no partiality to the poor in His dispute. It was laid out by God to His people. Also in Leviticus 19, verse 15, it says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a tall bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord." You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. And then he says this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's interesting that James is quoting this verse in our text this morning, in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Here's James quoting from Leviticus, the law. Leviticus chapter 19. This wasn't anything new. To the Jews. This is something they knew. This is something they understood that the law taught. In Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall show no partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any a man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring it to me and I will hear it. Again, part of what the instruction was in the law. In 1 Samuel, a familiar verse to most of us, in chapter 16, verse 7, 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That is a verse to remember. That is a verse to keep to heart. That God always is most concerned with the heart of man than He is with the exterior. And quite often we do the opposite. We look at the exterior before we ever consider the interior. In the book of Job, chapter 13, verse 10, He will surely rebuke you if you secretly, notice secretly, show partiality. Job 32.21 Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. Job 34.19 Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In Proverbs 24 verse 23, and James a lot draws from the Proverbs. It says, these things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. In Proverbs 28, 21, to show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. And then remember when Peter was called to Cornelius when they, uh, he had that vision from God, where God was going to bring both Jew and Gentile together. And in that time that Peter stood face to face with Cornelius, God brought them together. Peter opens his mouth and he says, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. That's the very nature of God. This was something that Peter himself was learning, that our God shows no partiality. Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 2, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God, period. In Galatians 2, 6, Paul wrote, but from those who seem to be something whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. And then in Ephesians 6, 9, and you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatenings, knowing that your master also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Colossians 3.25 But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. 1 Timothy 5.21 I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice doing nothing with partiality. Does the Bible speak a lot about it? It does. It drives the whole point home for us as Christians that our God 
is not a God that is partial towards anyone. He's not a respecter of persons. We are to be representatives of who He is, His very nature, who our God is. And that's what, what should come out of our lives. And if we struggle with that, God, would you help me? Would you help me in this area of prejudice or favoritism or discrimination or whatever it might be? The precept in verse 1, or the instructions that James is giving here, he says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he adds on the Lord of glory. I think that's interesting. He's given the full name. He's laying it all out. And is Jesus God? Yes, He is. Even here, James is calling Him the Lord of glory. And it's just interesting that He lays this all out, the very nature of who God is. And do it without partiality. Do it without favoritism. Do it without discrimination of race or between male and female. And that was another big issue culturally even in the day, and still is. And a lot of the nations that are out there that just put women at a different class. You know, Christianity broke all that. Christianity breaks racism, breaks all these different, you know. It, it does away with that. Deuteronomy 10.17 says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And then it adds on to that, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Wow. Who's God? You know, the magnificence of who God is. And then he says, and I don't show any partiality towards the lowest of lows. That gives us a full description of the God that we serve. And who are we to do anything different than our Lord? The obvious question is, why would we? Why would we be of that way? Why would we show partiality? Why would we be a person that has got some racist kind of overtones to the things that we might say? Comes out in very subtle ways sometimes. We need to be careful. Here's my translation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no place at all for partiality and discrimination and judging by appearance. This is inconsistent of who we are and inconsistent with our Christian faith. That's my translation. In your practice and in your witness as a Christian, do not hold your faith out in front of this world with partiality. It's inconsistent with who you claim to be. It's not in line with the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Because that's not who He is. 
Remember that this letter of James was written possibly as one of the first letters that went out to the early church. It's dated as possibly one of the first letters of our New Testament to the early church. And it's obvious from what James is writing here that there was a struggle within the church of partiality. And here we are 2,000 years later and it still needs to be addressed within the church. James was writing to a very partial age, we might say. It was a, a, a time and a culture where it was filled with prejudice. It had uh, different classes of people that was very obvious in the day. Nationality, religious background, Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. James is writing to a church in history where all these things were very much part of the society of the day, the culture of the day. It's how men treated women. It was just everything about it just screamed that James would have to write this letter to the early church. We need to start out the church in a good way. We need the church needs to go forward in a whole different way. And I really believe that the mantra, if we could say for the church today, is we who are in Christ, we should never be partial. We should never be prejudiced. We should never discriminate. We should never have an overtone of racism in the things that we say and how we react to people. That needs to be said from every pulpit. Paul in Ephesians 2.14 spoke about how Christ has brought both Jew and Gentile together. For He Himself is our peace, Paul writes, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh, talking about Christ's flesh, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. God, through the shed blood of Christ, brought Jew and Gentile together. Where there was this prejudice, this looking down upon. He brought them together in one. The work of Christ on the cross. James then gives an example of this in, in verse 2 to 4. An example of the, the kind of partiality that should never have a place among Christians. Now, it made me start thinking about a time that we lived in Wales. We were missionaries to, in Wales, my family and I. We were in a town called Swansea and in the beginning days of our church, we started having some homeless people come along to our church. We had them come in and sit in and I remember one time teaching a message and this homeless guy was sitting next to Kathy. 
And he eventually, not too far into the message, laid his head over on Kathy's shoulder and fell asleep. It was obvious, we knew he was homeless, he walked in off the street. You know, I was a little offended he fell asleep in my message, but here he is laying his head down and I'm seeing him out there. He's just sleeping like a baby on Kathy's shoulder. And I started thinking and I told Kathy after, you know, maybe the Lord's calling us to do a homeless ministry. We would take those people and feed them when they would come in after the service. We would love on them when they came. And you know what? It became a safe place for those people to come back to. They came back again. And they came back a number because we didn't judge them. We let them come. I knew they needed Christ. That was the most important thing. I remember also one time where they asked me, this homeless couple, a man and a woman, they said, can you help us move house? never had a homeless person ask me if I could help them move, move house. I didn't know you had a house. I said, well, if you just meet us over in this parking lot here, you can help us move. They knew I had a van. I showed up over there and they were standing out in front of this large area of bushes. They walked me in through this small opening into the bushes and there was their home. And in that home, they had bags and bags of trash bags full of clothes, full of their belongings. I started hauling them out with them, taking them out of there and loading them in my van. The whole back of my van was filled up. That's from two people that are living in these bushes. I'm thinking, how do you have this much stuff? But they were moving house. And they were so thankful that I would help because they were getting kicked out of this place. We went over to another place and found another area. They already had it marked out. They already knew where they were going. And we unloaded all those things right there. And that day, I felt very humbled. That day, I, I, I actually felt blessed. God allowed me to move some homeless people to a new location in the love of Christ. You see, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be those people that don't look at what's on the outside, but to consider what they could become if they knew Christ. I also remember a trip to Nigeria. I remember meeting this church that was meeting under just a wood covering with a tin roof on it. Very poor people. I remember that there was a man, we'd met this man prior, but this man showed up at church. He was a a wealthy businessman, probably the most wealthy man in the area. But he was also a pastor. And he walked into this gathering where we were with all these people that were just dirt poor. He got dropped off in an SUV and had armed guards standing there with him at his vehicle. He walked into this place of gathering where we were, and by the way, he walked in late. He had his iPad under his arm. He had the ushers direct him up to the front of the stage to sit on a chair and face the people. And by the way, he wasn't there to be a speaker. 
He was just simply there because this was the place that he felt would be the place he should sit. And I remember thinking how disgusted I was in seeing that. Some other people here went on that trip. They saw it too. It was sad to watch. But even the sadder part is that the people within that church that directed this man up to the stage, they actually saw that that would be the fitting place for him to be. To have him sitting up on the front up there. He should have been sitting out in the back. He was a pastor too. It was sad. Sad to see. And you see that those kinds of things happen within the church. And God is going to judge it. In verses 2-4, to James gives us an example of showing partiality. He says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothing, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool, or one translation reads, or you sit on the floor. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The assembly that James is speaking of here was not the temple. It may have been speaking about the synagogues that were in various cities where the believers would gather. It could have also been a rich man's house because if anyone had any house of any size, he probably had money. He might have had a place for the Christians to gather. It would have been a place probably would have been awkward for the poor person to walk into, into the midst of these wealthy people possibly. And the Christians were dealing with all their past stuff of all these distinctions from the past. And James is wanting to correct it. If there should be one that would come into your assembly. And keeping in mind that the one coming into the assembly could be a non-believer. It could be somebody that doesn't even know Christ. And you show partiality in the moment to a non-believer and you turn their face away from God. Because of your partiality, you will be held accountable. And I can tell you that there are many people that have come to a church. I've gone to a church where I didn't come with a tie on. And I had, and, I, and it wasn't uh, it, something I just felt like people were looking. Why don't you have a tie on? Why are you disrespecting God? And, and, I, and there are lots of people that have been turned away from church because of the partiality of Christians. When the poor, when they would arrive... And they were being judged for their dress. Very distinctive in the day. You see, today we have so many resources for people. Even somebody that's poor could actually go out of their house looking like a million bucks. They can get some nice, you know, name brand clothes. But in reality, they're poor. 
In that day, they didn't have all the thrift shops and the places you can go and get. What you look like was a distinguishing factor of who you were. You were of a lower class. You were poor. And as a matter of fact, you know, God's blessing is upon those that have much. And those that have little, it's because God's blessing is not really upon you. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? The rings. Notice it's plural. It was obvious. Multiple rings, bright clothing, fancy clothing on. And then looking for those that would come in with the dirty clothes. James goes on and he answers this question in 5 to 9 about why partiality is sinful. He says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? They should know the answer to that. But you have dishonored the poor. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, Christians, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Why is partiality sinful? Because we don't represent who God is. We're not representative of who He is to this world. Paul in Galatians 5.14 said the same thing. He says, For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, you could, if we could just do that, if we could just love other people, no matter who they are, what they look like, what status, if we could just love them like we love ourselves, wow. What a transformation. And then in conclusion, in verse 10 to 13, James gives us the conclusion of the matter. James, in a sense, he argues and and he makes the point for those who would say, I keep the law of God. And there are many that think they are keeping all that God has called them to do. But we keep the law of God. Look what it says in verse 10. James says to them, to those that would try to do this, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. He hit the nail on the head. You're not going to be able to get by on this one. You're not going to be able to say, well, I keep the law, but you know, this one thing of partiality that no one sees, it doesn't matter. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Notice the two types of sins he brings out. Now, you do not commit adultery, but you do murder. You have become a transgressor of the law. James makes it a point to bring out these two laws of God, the law of, against adultery and the law against murder. And he does this to make a point because what would happen and what we quite often do is we say if we're doing the most noticeable things that people could see, but, not, but people can't see my heart and my wicked heart towards and my evil heart towards those are of a lower class or somebody of a different skin color or somebody, you know, and we don't really say it. Surely I'm all right. It's like saying I'm doing the big things, but the lesser evils don't really matter to God. But they do. I may be guilty of partiality towards the poor. But at least I've been faithful to my wife. You know, and that's what we want to do. We want to take the bigger things and make those be who we are. Oh, I don't do that anymore. You know, the five bad things. Oh, I don't do that anymore. You know, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss. And I, you know, I, I've given up those things but we still have these issues that are in our hearts. We often want to focus on what we might call those big sins as Christians so that we can bypass the lesser sins or the seemingly lesser sins in our own minds. James says, for the person who tries to do this, he says... Whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Don't try it. In other words, all that God has said, I've read you the law. I've read out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus about not showing partiality. To break one, you break them all. And then in verse 12, so speak and so do. Those are, those are worthy of underlining right there. Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. We're no longer under the law of bondage, are we? We're no longer under the Old Testament covenant law of bondage. It's no longer, we're not, no longer held in its grasp as Christians. But we are under the law of liberty. Remember last week in verse 125, James says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, here it is, a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The law of liberty. In James 1.22, a key verse to the book of James, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
you know, putting to practice what we know in our head is what we're called to do. James tells us throughout this letter that our Christianity is something that should be seen. Not, not just what we say. You know, if our Christianity is all about what we say, all about our doctrinal stance and all these things, but how about what we do? So speak and so do is what James says in verse 12. So speak and so do. And you see, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. Did you know that? You thought, I thought we didn't have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You won't stand at the great white throne judgment. That's for non-believers. But you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer will. And it's at that point, it's at that moment, it's in that time that God is going to search the inner man. He's going to look at your heart. He's going to judge every motive and everything that you did. And those are the things that are going to be tested by fire. As those things hit that fire, it's going to come forth really what things God will reward you for or what things are going to burn up. Might be an eye-opening day of how much will get burned up. Verse 13, we'll close. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, I think James here is saying that by God's very nature, He wants to extend mercy to people. That's the very, His mercies are new every day. That's the very nature of God. He would rather extend mercy than to extend judgment. We think, well, He's a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy. But He will extend judgment. And He says the same thing to us. Again, a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5-7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We read in Micah 7.18, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage. He does not retain His anger forever. Why? Because He delights in mercy. Not getting what we deserve. Blessed are the merciful is what we're called as believers to do. Extend mercy ourselves. We've received mercy. We are receiving mercy. We need to extend it. I'll leave you with a few questions. We might say we could test ourselves with these, and there's a lot more. Do we show partiality towards other races? Only you could answer that in your heart. Do we act differently around those who are prominent, wealthy, or those who have positions of power and status? Do we act differently when we get into the presence of people like that and then there's somebody else standing over there that it's obvious they're not of that? Do we act differently towards those who are young and those who are old? I might judge that one if how you act towards me. You know, I'm one of the young ones. No. 
I'm one of the old, you know. But do we act differently? Do we discriminate against the poor and fail to love them equally no matter their status? How many times do we drive by and see people in just low estate? All these people, they just, if they just do this, get a job, do that, you know, I mean, we, we're so quick. Are we known by our love one for another? I think what we could do, and if you've never done this before, if you want to go minister uh, somewhere in town here and go find a Section 8 housing project and go out there and minister to people with the love of Christ, it'll kind of show you kind of where your, where your feelings are. If you want to go to, on a missions trip to a third world country, go find a bunch of believers out living in poverty. Go out there and minister to them. It'll kind of just bring to light really what your Christianity is about. I think that the church, if the church just on this of loving one another as you love yourself, and if the church would just be this towards this world, I think people would be running for it. They'd be drawn to it. They'd want to have it. Chapter 1, verse 27 Again, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Simple. It's not the only example, but our religion, our relationship with Christ is summed up in what we do, not just in what we say, how we respond to how we love on people is what makes the difference. And so, anyway, let's have the, uh, our worship leader come up. Keep wanting to say team, but we don't have a team up here. Have the worship leader come up and lead us in a, a song. Take these, maybe questions, if you didn't write them down, this is gonna get posted on the website. You can listen to this message again. Take these questions, ask yourself, soul search yourself, say, God, Do a work in me. Change something in me. And so let's all stand.